Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. When you get there, stick a piece of paper in Exodus chapter 20 and turn to the book of Nahum. Nahum, if you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 993. If you don't, you're on your own. When you get to Nahum, stick a piece of paper in your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. Exodus chapter 20, the book of Nahum, and Romans chapter 12. We've spent a number of weeks studying Jonah. God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh because their great evil had cried against them. The ESV Bible says, the vast Assyrian empire was established by bloodshed and massacre, cruelty and torture, destruction, plundering, and exiling such as has seldom been seen in history. And God convinced Noah to go to Nineveh, that great town, and he did, and he cried against it for 40 days. And the people believed God. Amen? Something that each of us should do. The people believed God and repented, and God relented. And then Jonah pouted and said, God, I knew. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were merciful. I knew, God, that you were slow to anger and steadfast in in your love. And Jonah and God had this discussion. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah says, yeah, you bet, God. I do well to be angry. And yet God said, Jonah, why do you pity the plant? And don't pity Nineveh that have some 120,000 souls in them that don't know their right hand from their left. Perhaps a city of 600,000 people. Jonah wanted judgment. Jonah wanted justice. And yet God gave compassion and God gave comfort to the people of Nineveh. Have you thought much about God's justice? The justice of God? On the one side, we have God's comfort. And on the other side, we have God's judgment. On the one side, we have God's love. And on the other side, we have God's holiness. And I want you to know that it's all about God. Jonah wanted his judgment, his justice. But the people believed God and they repented and God relented and showed his compassion and his love. But yet... We find God's judgment and God's holiness evidenced in our God. Are you in Romans chapter 12? Romans chapter 12. I want to begin with verse 9. And I want to read down through verse 21. And I'm just going to read the passage with just a few comments about it. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Did you see the contrast there of Jonah's attitude and what God did with the people of Nineveh? And yet the apostle Paul here tells us that God's justice will come. God's judgment will come, but that's God's business. Turn to the book of Nahum, please. We're going to fast forward about 100 years. And in Nahum, we are going to see the justice of God, for Nahum is the rest of the story about Nineveh. Now, I'm not going to take time this morning to exegete this book. But what we are going to look at is seven qualities of God. There are a couple of phrases that I want you to look at, and we will see them together. The first phrase that we're going to look at is, the Lord is. The Lord is, a quality, a character quality of God. The second phrase that we're going to look at is, I am. God speaking, helping us recognize not only who he is, but how he handles situations. And then lastly, we are going to see what God did as all who hear the news about the destruction of Nineveh applaud God's justice. So let's look at the justice of God out of the book of Nahum. Nahum, verse 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh the book of the vision of Nahum, of Elkosh. Oracle, burden, God has given this message to Nahum, and he's going to share it with us about Nineveh, the rest of the story. Verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Nahum begins by saying, God does not let anybody get away with it. The Lord is a jealous God. In CBC 101 this morning, 
I asked the class to help me with this message. I asked them, what is the difference between jealousy and envy? Now, some of you are looking up trying to think about that. I see the wheels moving. What is the difference between jealousy and envy? Envy is wanting to possess something we don't have. I envy Matt's ability to play the guitar. I'm confessing my sin now, Matt. I don't possess that ability. I wish I had that ability. It would be a blessing to me. Matt says, I'll give you lessons. No, thank you. I'm not that interested. That's envy. Jealousy is protecting something that you do have. I am jealous to protect my wife. I am jealous to protect my kids. I am jealous to protect the people of Calvary Baptist Church to the best of my ability, and I don't have a whole lot of ability in that area. Envy is built out of lust. Jealousy is built out of love. Envy is built out of the flesh. Jealousy is built out of the faithfulness of the individual who wants to protect those that are meaningful to them. I say all that to remind us that God is a jealous God. And God wants to protect us, sometimes even from ourselves. God will protect his reputation. God will protect his character. God will protect his people. God will protect us because God is a jealous God. And I trust that encourages you this morning. And God has given to us directives to protect us. And as you look at the Word of God and seize the instructions that God has provided for us, understand it's all for our protection. Did you ever tell your kids, this is for your own good? That's what God says, this is for your own good. Now keep your finger in Nahum and turn back to Exodus chapter 20, will you please? Exodus chapter 20 gives to us the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. And God has given the standard for us for our own good. Now I want you to begin by looking in the middle of verse 5. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You have it? And in the middle of that verse it says, I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Underline that, will you please? I, the Lord, your God, love you enough to tell you these things. I, the Lord, your God, want to protect you by giving you this instruction. I, the Lord, your God, am faithful to you. And so as we recognize how we are to live before God, We understand God is a jealous God and wants to protect us many times from ourselves. And so God gives to us the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. 
Let me just remind you quickly of the first four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. No graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You find that in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 7, and in verse 8. No other gods, no graven images. Don't take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. All because God is faithful. Amen? All because God loves us. All because God wants to protect us. And this is part of his protection for us. Because we know if we follow other gods, if we don't get this right, we're in trouble. You remember what John said at the end of his third epistle? End of his first epistle. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Why? Because if you follow idols, you all of a sudden move out from the protection of a holy God. And that won't do you any good. Now, you have heard me identify these four standards as recognizing that we are to follow the right God. We are to follow the right God the right way. We are to follow the right God the right way with the right kind of attitude. Oh, how important is our attitude? We are to follow the right God the right way with the right attitude with the right kind of commitment. Why? Because our God is a jealous God and wants to show his faithfulness to us in protecting us because he loves us. Back to the book of Nahum, please. Not only is the Lord jealous in avenging, verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Our God is unchanging. That's part of his justice. See, the problem that Jonah had was he thought God had changed his mind. He thought God had taken a different position. But he only had one side of the equation. Our God is an unchanging God. You see, it's true. As Jonah identified it, the Lord is slow to anger. But it's also true that the Lord will not clear the guilty. Be not deceived, we read in Galatians. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's a principle. I am so thankful that Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations, through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed, aren't you? 
Because his compassions fail not, he's unchanging. Great is his faithfulness. Amen? But I want you to know that even though God may be slow to anger and steadfast in love, he's also great in power and authority. And one day, all of us will have to stand before him giving account. I wonder what Adam and Eve thought. After they had partaken of the forbidden fruit, you remember the lie that the serpent gave to them. You'll not surely die. And in a sense, the serpent was right. Because immediately when they ate of the fruit, they didn't drop dead. And I wonder what they thought. But let me tell you, God's word is true. And in the day they began to eat of that, they began to die. God had not changed his mind. There were consequences. And in the day that Nineveh began to turn away from God, a hundred years later here in Nam, the unchanging God may be slow to wrath, but he is great in power. And he will accomplish his word. But I want you to notice something else. Even in the midst of that, verse 7, the Lord is good. My dad, when he disciplined me, tried to convince me it was out of the goodness of his heart that he was disciplining me. He told me on one occasion, and perhaps you've told your kids this, it's going to hurt me a whole lot more than it hurts you. I didn't believe it until I became a parent. Then I understood it. And out of the goodness of our God sometimes comes discipline. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And disciplines every son, every daughter that he receives. It's that balance in our lives. You ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Love that series. C.S. Lewis wrote this book, and one of the series is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In that book, the children, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, have a conversation with the beavers. And they ask the beater, beavers about Aslam. Susan asks, who is Aslam? Mr. Beaver replies, oh, Aslam is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Susan says, is he quite safe? Safe? says Mr. Beaver. 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's good. He's the king. I tell you, God is good. But if we violate his standard, there's nothing safe about that. You sure your sin will find you out? Nothing safe about that. But do not mistake the discipline of God for God not being good. God is a good God. And sometimes for our blessing and our benefit, His holiness is that which we see as he extends his love. Turn over to chapter 2, will you please? Nahum chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob. That's the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The destruction of Nineveh was to restore the greatness and majesty of God's people. And when God's enemies fell under the judgment of God, God then lifted up his people. And that was part of Jonah's problem, wasn't it? Someone told me last week that one of the reasons that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach a a message of repentance to the Assyrians was because Jonah's own family had come under the judgment of Nineveh and the Assyrians. Jonah's own family had been slaughtered by Assyria. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. But I am certain that Jonah was personally aware of the destruction of the Ninevites. And Jonah had a personal interest here. God, how can you seemingly let the enemies of your people triumph? God, how can you not destroy the enemies of your beloved. You remember what we read in Romans chapter 12? Vengeance is not for you and for me. Vengeance is up to God. That's his justice. And we may not know when vengeance is going to happen, when justice is going to come, when judgment will fall, but we do know this. God is God. And God God is the one who will settle the accounts. The Lord is restoring his purpose of justice. Now, there's a testimony about the Lord restoring. 
God has redeemed us. Amen? He has redeemed us from the curse of the law as his son became a curse for us. Never get over that. Jesus paid it all. And what does the hymn writer say? All to him I owe. Never get past redemption. God claiming and God possessing loved ones for us. Aren't you thankful this morning that God entered your life, God entered my life, and he made us his children? Romans 8 adopted us of sons, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory. I hope somebody would say glory. Thank you. But there is another aspect to his redemption, and that's restoration, where he cleans us and processes us so that we can be conformed to the character of Christ. And this is all where the Lord restores us. One day, we're going to be like him. I am so unlike him today. But one day, I will be like him. For I will see him as he is. And the Lord is going to completely restore me to that creation that he intended me to be. Amen? Woohoo! This is something to look forward to. And the Lord's restoring us. His progressive sanctification. And God was going to restore his people and put them in a place of promise. In 1948, God placed his people back in the land. You know how many centuries that took? It was 400 years between the end of Genesis and God's sending Moses to deliver his people in Egypt. Did God forget about his people? No. God just had a plan. A day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years... We can't put God's timing together. God does not work on 60-second minutes or 60-minute hours or 24-hour days. God will restore, and we can leave it there. Jump down to verse 13 of chapter 2, will you please? Here's the I am's. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. That's Nineveh. And I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. There's an impact that we must understand. And here Nahum says, I'm against you, Nineveh. And it's going to impact your life. And I want you to see that the impact is because the Lord is against them, and he is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of gods, the King of kings. 
There is none like him. Amen? There is no one like our God. And he is Jehovah, L-O-R-D, capitalized. He is the Lord of hosts. And the impact is going to be felt because it is God himself who carries out justice. And that impact is going to be complete. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face. Look at the description of this. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make the nations look at your nakedness and the kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Well, that kind of says it all, doesn't it? I can just see Jonah. Go, God! This is what I was looking for. This is what I wanted you to do. I wanted... Assyria and Nineveh to pay for their sins. When God's justice is felt, there is absolutely no escape. And when God's judgment comes, people will notice. You see, it's complete because it's the Lord. The Lord is, and he says, I will. And there is going to be absolutely no misunderstanding. Nineveh was destroyed apparently by fire around 625 B.C. The Assyrian Empire came to an end, an event which changed the face of Asia. The, the Assyriologist, I didn't even know there was such a thing, the guy who studies Assyria, wisely wrote, a glorious past was forgotten in man's short memory of these opulent cities and mighty monarchs. Only a few often distorted names survive. The dissolving rain and the sand-bearing winds, the earth-splitting sun conspired to obliterate all material remains. And the desolate mounds which conceal the ruins of Nineveh offer perhaps the best lesson in modesty that we shall ever receive from history. May I remind you of two other events that took place? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? We read about them in Genesis chapter 19. Complete destruction. Remember Tyre and Sidon? You read about them in Isaiah chapter 23. Complete destruction. When God's justice falls, it's complete. And lastly, verse 19 of chapter 3. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your increasing evil, they ask. Did you notice there? There's no easing the hurt. God is God. And all who hear the news about Nineveh and Assyria rejoice. That's God. 
So what can we learn from Nahum? May I just give you five lessons very quickly here? David Nettleton, out of Meet the Minor Prophets, came up with these. Somebody said the key to originality is for getting where you got it. I know where I got it. I changed it just a bit, but it's David's, all right? Lesson number one is this. Nineveh's repentance was short-lived. hundred years later. If you want to see how quickly a nation can go downhill, read the first chapters of Judges. Three generations. A generation that saw the works of God, a generation that was told about the works of God, and a generation that forgot the works of God. And the book of Judges is seven economic, spiritual ups and downs of God's people because they forgot about the works of God. Lesson number two, all sin is an offense to a holy God. All sin. We talk about white lies. We talk about oops, accidents. All sin is an offense to a holy God. Number three, he, God, has the authority to bring judgment. It's not whether you and I think it's acceptable. It's not whether culture thinks it's acceptable. It's about God's standard. That's Nahum. We can learn that unrepentant people will be judged. (laughs) Aren't you thankful for 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But unrepentant people will be judged. So, make sure you repent and don't rebel. For Jonah, God was gracious, God was merciful. God was slow to anger and and steadfast in love. But then a burden came to Nahum. And that burden was the justice of God a hundred years later played out on the people of Assyria and Nineveh. The balance of God's comfort and God's judgment. The balance of God's love and God's holiness. And that's who God is. In our lives. The key for us is to glorify that God in our lives.